but what a joy to come into your place to uh, sing, to worship together as body of Christ, to hear your word proclaimed. We know it's hot, uh, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable uh, sitting here, and uh, we just want to pray that you bless our time together. Keep us awake, keep us with a good attitude of wanting to hear your word and so that your word can, living word can transform us, change us, shape us, mold us so that we can uh, live the kind of life that you want us to live. Thank you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know it's hard, it's uncomfortable, but as a pastor, I cannot negate my duty to preach, to teach. Uh, I want to preach this sermon because I preached this sermon about five to six years ago. If you remember, some of you do, but most people don't. I can't, sometimes I don't remember I preached certain sermon before until I look it up on my records and all that. Um, I always feel that many, many people are dictated by the circumstances of life. We, our lives are constantly dictated by what actually happened, and it affects us. Um, just like I always tell people, why should we succumb to peer pressure all the time? Why can't we exert positive peer pressure on others? Why should we be always be the victim of our circumstances rather than be proactive in influencing the environment? And I just feel that uh, one of the things that always suck us out from our joy and our lives is circumstances always dictate us. Oh, my son go astray. We are flat. Oh, my, my, my business partner, this thing happened. I, I lost a bit of money in the share market. Uh, I failed my exam. This and that. It just All these circumstances are the ones that constantly dictate who we are, how we are, our being in a sense. And here I want to bring you the story of St. Paul from Philippians chapter 1. And you can see that he, he, he can be in the worst of situation, and yet he can still have joy in his heart. And I want to show you how he did it to see whether or not that we wouldn't always constantly have to be affected by the circumstances of life that influence our, our joy, our peace, uh, uh, that kind of things. And I want to look at Paul's life to see it from his anger. But before I give you the four points, I want to just give you a big, bigger picture. Philippians is only four chapters. You can read it in 15 minutes. Uh, next week, I'm going to begin a new study from the book of Nehemiah. So I encourage you this week, if you can, read through Nehemiah. Only 13 chapters. Uh, it takes you maybe, I don't know how long, maybe 45 minutes just to read through Nehemiah. Uh, I preached this series in 2007, and I want to revisit again because it's an it's a, it's a important season to build, whether it's the bu church building and further amalgamation process you know, in building. And so I want to touch on Nehemiah. And, but let me just touch one sermon, a topic sermon, topical sermon today on Philippians chapter 1. Paul, this letter, four chapters, there, uh, there is a word that appears throughout this letter. is the word joy or rejoice. 14 times in 104 verses. That is more than 10%. So the, the key letter, key word in this, chapter, this book is joy or rejoice. Paul planted this church in Philippians uh, in AD 51. Um, 
he made his visit to Philippi. You can read that in Acts chapter 16. He cast a demon out of a young girl. And for this act of kindness, he was thrown in jail. He leads the jailer to Christ. He baptized him and his family in the middle of the night. And all kinds of things happen. And 10 years later, Paul found himself in prison in Rome, awaiting trial before Caesar. He was under a type of house arrest, which meant he was watched by God, a group of Roman soldiers. He was evidently chained to a guard at all times. I don't know why, just preaching the gospel. He, um, he wasn't in a solitary confinement, which meant he could receive visitors and could even preach and teach others while in prison. And so when the Philippian church heard about his imprisonment, uh, they sent a much-loved leader by the name of Epaphroditus to uh, Rome with a gift for Paul's personal needs. Uh, so they collected a gift, so Epaphroditus went to the prison and gave to Paul this gift. And Paul, in return, wrote a letter and sent to the church via Epaphroditus. Um, and so, but Epaphroditus was very ill while he was there, almost died. And, and you can read that in Philippians chapter 1 and all that. But uh, look at what Paul said. Let me just show you a few verses before I give you the four points on what Paul is, is like. Even though he was in prison, he, even he's in a very dire situation, but joy still resides in him. His inner being is not being dictated by the external circumstances. It's not. Doesn't matter what circumstances you may be going through, the joy resides in him. How did he do it? I'll show you how afterwards. But let me just show to you this letter that joy rejoiced throughout. Look at chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. I thank my God every time I remember you. Remember, you write a letter back to the Philippian church and sent through Epaphroditus. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And then look at verse 18. What does it matter? Because there are a lot of competitors, they are complaining to him about Epaphroditus, when to see him complain about this preacher preaching God's word out of false motives, trying to get rich and all kinds of things. Paul said, oh, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Again, the word rejoice comes in. Look at verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Again, there's another word joy there. Chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Paul is always challenging the church community to be one in spirit, one in purpose, be united as one. Because dissension is so easily happened when a group of people, they say, where two or three are gathered in your name, what happened? There'll be disunity. There'll be this unity. And then chapter 2, verse 16 to 18. As you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad. Rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice 
with me. Paul said, wow, even though I'm like that, I've been poured out as a drink offering, I want you to rejoice together with me despite of what I am currently going through. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and it is a safeguard for you. That's the four. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And then rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So this letter is a hymns of joy. It's a hymns of joy. And Paul is able to maintain joy in his heart despite of the fact that he's still in prison, despite of the fact that he probably would not receive a fair trial, despite of the fact that very soon his head will be chopped off, which eventually it did. So let me just read to you uh, verses 12 to 26, but the main text I'll be preaching from is 19 to 26, but I want to put it in a context. I want to give you four points that Paul had in in able to maintain joy in his life. Okay, let me just read to you the text first. Now, I want you to know, brothers, Paul say, that what has, what has happened to me, which is in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result of me being in prison, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard that to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I did not commit a crime. I did not steal. I did not do this, this, that's why I'm thrown into prison. Because I'm preaching in Christ, therefore I'm prison and therefore people are known. The gods are talking about it. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? What a good attitude, isn't it? That we don't be trivialize things all the time. So many times I see Christians, we trivialize, husband and wife, we trivialize about small little things. And most of the marital problems are trivial problems. Trivial, so minor. And church problems are also trivial problems. That we allow trivial things to dominate our lives. Paul said, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope. Look at the word. You know, it's not just like, I eagerly expect. And I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by death or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yeah, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart, which is die, and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. 
Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. See what Paul says? You can hear Paul's heartbeat about his love for the Philippians church. He said, while I'm in prison, I don't mind dying. I've done my part. I've run the race. I've done well. I, I'm ready to see Christ, which is by far better. But if God wants me to stay on so that my presence can bring joy to you, can spur you on in your faith, then I'm also willing to do that. There's tremendous amount of this security in Paul, this joy in him that is not dictated by his circumstances. How did he do it? Let me give you four points how did he do it. The first one, how to be joyful. How to be joyful no matter what. The first one is you must express unshakable confidence in God. The word is unshakable confidence in God. Do you have confidence in God? Do you have confidence in your husband? Do you have confidence in your wife? Do you have confidence in your parents? Do you have confidence in certain people that you, you kind of trust? You must express unshakable confidence in God. Paul can express joy in his life because he has this unshakable confidence in God. Nothing is going to shake me because I believe in this God. Look at what he said in verse 19. He's in prison. He says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Look at what Paul is saying. I have confidence in God. Yes, I may be in prison, but I have this confidence that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. It is actually better. God knows better. God knows. God is sovereign. And therefore, I'm in prison for a purpose. He has allowed it for a purpose. And I have this unshakable confidence in God that what has happened to me will actually turn out for my deliverance. I don't moan over it. Oh, what am I in prison? Lord, I've done so much for you. You know what? I've sacrificed. I gave all this up. I preach the gospel. I do this, 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 this. Why am I in prison? He never said that. He has this unshakable confidence that even while in prison, it is God's plan for him to go through that. He has this unbelievable, unshakable confidence in God. And I think we, if we want to maintain joy in our lives, we must have this unshakable confidence that God is who He says He is. That nothing is going to deter my, not going to scar or tarnish my understanding of who this God is. I trust Him. I believe Him. He loves me. He will never do things to harm me. St. Teresa of Avila says, Let nothing disturb you. Nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God is unchanging. Patient gains all. Nothing is lacking to those who have God. God alone is sufficient. God alone is sufficient. Oswald Chamber, my favorite devotional author, 
my utmost for his highest. On July 29, he says this, there's a connection between the strange providences of God and what we know of him. And we have to learn to interpret the mysteries of life in the light of our knowledge of God. Unless we can look the darkest, blackest fact full in the face without damaging God's character, we do not yet know him. Let me just repeat the last sentence again. Unless we can look at the darkest, blackest fact full in the face without damaging God's character, we do not yet know Him. So God is sovereign. He's in control. If you want joy in your lives, you must express this unshakable confidence in this God you worship. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter what happened to life. God, I have confidence in you. Unshakable confidence confidence in God secondly in verse 20 you must express unquestionable courage in the midst of difficulty you must express unquestionable courage in the midst of difficulty I always lament as a pastor over the fact that uh, courage is something that is so lacking among Christians nowadays it is the missing cord missing court missing court called heroism why? because Christianity has propelled more towards selfishness, it's all about yourself this God is there to meet all your needs to soften the blow of life and give you cushion and give you money and make your life as smooth as best as possible and the message has been like that and therefore Christianity has slid backwards over the years towards about paganistic way of worship that I grew up in the eastern religion going to temple and just pray for well-being it's not Christianity is not like that you must express unquestionable courage in the midst of difficulty because you trust that God is in the midst of it all unquestionable courage we need courage we need courage in this very dark time in you know our countries and order. We need courage to be a Christian. It never ceases amazed that uh, whenever we are struck with certain illness, Christian always, Christian always and always first thing ask for healing. Always. Even 85 years old already still ask for healing. I cannot understand. Even 90 years old still ask for healing. And they say heaven is better. We cannot take difficulty. We seem to think that difficulty, to me, difficulty is just part of life. It's just part of life. Life is difficult sometimes because we deal with difficult peoples in lives because we're sinners. And here, Paul is saying that you have to express unquestionable courage in the midst of difficulty if you want joy to remain in your life. Here, verse 20, Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed that I'm in prison. No way. But I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by death or by life. doesn't matter. I have this tremendous amount of unquestionable courage in this difficulty because I have unshakable confidence in this God and difficulties to me is nothing 
It's just challenges. It's part of life, challenges that you need to handle. When you recognize and, and, and know that life is just full of challenges, rather than expect that life is supposed to be smooth, then you are ready to face the world. Then you are ready to face life. As difficult as it is, it is just a series of challenges you need to overcome. You must express unquestionable courage in the midst of difficulties. Just like Paul says here, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, Victor Franco, author of the books called Men's Search for Meaning, uh, he was imprisoned by the Nazi in the Second World War because he was a Jew. His wife, his children, and his parents were all killed in the Holocaust. Uh, the gestapo made him strip. He stood there totally naked. As they cut away his wedding band, uh, Victor said to himself, you can take away my wife, you can take away my children, you can take away anything, you can strip me of my clothes and my freedom, but there is one thing no person can ever take away from me. And that is my freedom to choose how I will react to what happens to me. No one can take away my freedom to choose how I will react to what happens to me. No one. No one is going to take it from you. How you choose to react to what actually happened to you. Are you going down the pathway of being pity party? Kind of thing. Sorry, you, me, and all that. Or am I going to say, God, I'm going to trust in you. I believe in you. I have this unshakable confidence in you. Although we may not understand all of this, His purposes, we know that God is too righteous ever to do wrong, too loving ever to be unkind, too wise ever to make a mistake, and too powerful ever to be frustrated. It is our gracious and sovereign God that we look for strength and help. And so difficulties are just part and parcel of life. So to be a Christian doesn't mean to say that you're problem-free. I've come to realize that to be a Christian, you have more problems because you have a particular view of certain things. Frederick Bushner said, if you tell me Christian commitment is the kind of thing that has happened to me once and for all, like some kind of pl spiritual plastic, plastic surgery, I say you're either pulling the wool over your own eyes or trying to pull it over mine. Every morning you should wake up in your bed and ask yourself, can I believe it all over again today? No, better still, don't ask it after you've read the, your newspaper. So after all you studied the daily records of the world, brokenness and corruption, which should always stand side by side with your Bible. And then you ask yourself if you can believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ again for that particular day. Faith is a daily ongoing exercise. It is a risk. Doubts arise. We struggle with God and hopefully faith grounded in the goodness of God triumphs. Even when we do not have all the answers and sometimes life doesn't make sense. Part of life. Struggle. Struggle. And so here, if you want to maintain joy, you must have this, not just unshakable confidence in God, but you have this unquestionable courage in the midst of your difficulties, whatever that may be. Unquestionable courage to confront it. Third point, how can you have joy? Uh, you must express your unrelenting commitment to Christ. Unrelenting commitment to Christ. Christ is all. Christ is sufficient. He is sufficient. 
Christianity is not just a religion, it's a relationship with a God. It's a life. It's a relationship with God. It's not about 10 do's and 12 don'ts. It's not. It's relationship with God. It's dynamic. You know what relationship is like if you have a relationship with someone? It is dynamic. You must express this unrelenting commitment to Christ. Nothing is going to change. Here it says this. Paul is able to say, while I'm in prison, I'm going to face death very soon. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, the worst is that you don't know what's going to happen. And Paul says this, while to, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, while I'm living for the Lord, if I have to die, it's gain to me because I'm going to be with the Lord. He has this unrelenting commitment to Christ. Or in another, in another word, as far as I'm concerned, Paul says, living for me, is Jesus Christ. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, say, a life always expresses the result of our dominant thoughts. A life always expresses the result of our dominant thoughts. What is the dominant thoughts in your mind? It will be manifested in your actions. If you have nothing to die for, then you have nothing to live for. If you don't know what you are living for, ask yourself this question, what are you willing to die for? If you can answer that question, then you are actually living for that thing. What are you willing to die for? That is the very thing that you are living for. Will you die for money? Many people are. Many people are. Many. So if you don't know what you're living for, ask yourself, what are you willing to die for? The thing that you're willing to die for is the very thing that you are living for. You must have this unt relenting commitment to Christ. I've been a pastor for many years. I've seen Christians come and go. I've, seen, I've been a youth pastor for many years. I've seen many young people come and go. I've seen many young people begin to raise well, but they give up their faith when they are facing with a lot of challenges. I've seen many adults fall away because of circumstances that happen to them. But Christian life is a commitment to the end. Christian life is a commitment to the end. Run the race to the end. My hero is Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, in, uh, in one of the, he attempted to assassinate Adolf Hitler, but he failed. And eventually he was uh, sentenced to death just a week before Germany was freed. And when he was in Flossenburg camp, um, he this is what a prison guard said of him. He said, on the morning of the day between five and six o'clock, the prisoners among the Admiral Canaries, General Oster, they were all taking, taken from their cells 
and the verdicts of the court martial read out to them. And this is what the doctor says, okay? She said, through the half-open door in one room of the huts, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer before taking off his prison garb, kneeling on the floor, praying fervently to his God. I was most deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God heard his prayer. At the place of execution, he again said a short prayer, and then he climbed the steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. And then this is his postscript. He said, in the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor in a prison, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God without fear unrelenting commitment to Christ. When we worship God, when we are Christian, we need to pay the price. We need to know what it means to sacrifice. Someone said that there are few things that will destroy you. Politics without principle will destroy you. Pleasure without conscience will destroy you. Wealth without work will destroy you. Knowledge without character will destroy you. Business without morality will destroy you. Science without humanity will destroy you. And the last one, worship without sacrifice will destroy you. Worship without sacrifice will destroy you. When you worship this God, our life is on the altar. So Paul here has an unrelenting commitment to Jesus Christ and therefore he has tremendous amount of joy in his heart. Last thing. People's eyes are getting very heavy so I better wind it up. Last one. If you want joy, you must express unwavering contentment in God's plan for you. Unwavering contentment in God's plan for you. Don't compare. Don't compare. Unwavering contentment. God is dealing with you. You may be traveling the same path as the other person, do the same thing, but you are different. And God deal with us individual. There is no fixed method follow one, two, three, four, five steps, this is what you'll get. It doesn't work that way. Spiritual life, it doesn't that way. Maybe you can do that in safe way or business or whatever, but spiritual life, you can't do it that way. God deal with you as an individual. You must express unwavering contentment in God's plan for your life. This is what Paul says. Well, to live is to die, to die is gain. doesn't matter whether I live or die. Why? If I go on, live in the body, well, this will mean fruitful labor for me in my remaining life. Yet what shall I choose? He said, I don't know. I'm torn between the two. While I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, 
but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And therefore, I remain in the body, I continue. So has this containment in God's plan for his life. You know, some people want to die because they hate this life. But Paul was ready and willing to die because he looked forward to life with Christ in heaven. He said, it doesn't matter. For him, death would be like a ship pulling up anchor, sailing out to the harbor towards a new destination. It would be like an army breaking camp, striking the tents and moving to a new location. Because Paul understood that for the Christian, death is nothing more than a change of address. For a Christian, death is nothing more than change of address. In the meantime, he was willing to remain if he could make a difference in the lives of other people. And so he has he expressed this unrelenting commitment to Jesus Christ. In short, he, he said, if I die, gain for me. If I live, gain for you to his community. Again for if I die, gain for me. If I live, for you because it will be a fruitful labor for me to continue to be a blessing to you. So how do you stop a man like that with that kind of view? You, you can't. Go ahead and kill him, he'll die with a smile on his face. Put him in prison, he'll preach to the, to the prison guards. Put him in jail at midnight and he'll start a singing Amazing Grace. Run him out of town, he'll just go down the road and start a church in the next village. Stone him and he'll use the rocks to build a sanctuary. You can't do harm to this person because he are, his, his brain is already wired. His view is already so focused that it's all about Christ, about Christ. And my friend, uh, those are the four things as I look in Paul's lives, how he's able to maintain joy. He did not allow the circumstances to dictate his well-being. Circumstances is terrible in his situation but yet he can maintain and remain joy and peace in the sense because he has an unshakable confidence in God he has an unquestionable courage in the midst of difficulty he has, a, he has an un, expressed an unrelenting commitment to Christ and then he has an unwavering contentment in God's plan for him I wish you as you begin this year don't let the circumstances of your life dictate your well-being. Occasionally, we can feel a bit down or get stuck up, but joy should always reside in us. Joy doesn't mean happiness. It doesn't mean that you walk around always smiling, you know, no problem. It's not that. Joy is a deep-seated virtue within you that no matter what happens, you are still walking with the Lord you're still trusting in Him. You're still knowing that He's in control. You won't panic. You won't stress. You still have deep joy in this God that we worship. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Paul. We thank You for joy. Uh, forgive us, Lord. Many times we allow the circumstances of, of our lives to dictate our inner being, inner peace and joy. We are just creature of reaction, always reacting, reacting, and reacting. We don't know how to respond. We are so quick to react. We don't take a step back and bring you into the picture. God, what do you want me to do? You are a good God. 
you will never allow things to happen to us for nothing. Help us to handle well our circumstances. In the midst of all these things, may we shine for you. May we shine for you. May we be strong, unquestionable courage in times of difficulties. Give us strength. Give us perspectives. Give us godly men and women that will guide us into the right path. Thank you, Lord. We give you thanks. You are a good God. We are a good God. We worship you. We sing praises to you. We give you thanks for everything. You love us so much. And we thank you that you are in control. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing our closing song again, Give Thanks. Never cease to touch my heart when Aaron played this song. Uh, shall we stand as we close off this uh, time with these beautiful hymns again? Give thanks.
Lord, we give you thanks. God, you are too righteous ever to do wrong. You are too loving ever to be unkind. You are too wise ever to make a mistake. And you are too powerful ever to be frustrated. Thank you, Lord. You are good God. We give you thanks. We give you thanks. Whatever we are going through, we give you thanks. We know that you are in our midst. We know that you are guiding us, leading us. We bless you. We worship you. May the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, His unconditional and unfailing love of God, and an amazing, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.